forgot to mention earlier, but I do want to draw attention. You may see the two picture frames on either side of the of the front here. We used those last week, and we asked individuals to write the names of folks they were either praying for for salvation that have not received Christ, or maybe someone that they were praying that the Lord would would draw back to them. Somebody that maybe made a commitment earlier in life, maybe walked an aisle or prayed a prayer. And I want you to know that um, you're still able to write names on those boards, and there's actually sharper Sharpies available at each of those. But we don't want those just to become some sort of relic or think just because we wrote someone's name in a Sharpie that the work is done. We want to continually be remembering these folks and praying for them. So if, if during the, the invitation time or at any point during the service, the Lord just feels you, you know, you feel led by the Lord to come and pray, you can come kneel before that, you can come... Um, you know, just pray for some of the names there. It's also appropriate if you just want to snap a picture with your phone. And we'll be working on compiling a list of these as best we can um, to distribute those. So we can be praying for these individuals by name as we're trusting in the Lord to move and work in their hearts and draw them to Him. And so um, if you have not written someone's name on there, you're you're welcome to do that. And they'll be up there um, for the next several weeks and um Hope you'll take advantage of that. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 2 this morning, and we'll actually finish the um, remainder of, of chapter 2, verses 16 through 23. And the, uh, the title today is Shadows or, or Substance. And anyone that has experienced an imitation of something is always satisfied when they get to experience the real thing. I grew up in a home where... Um, where Mexican food came from a little foil pan that you would take out of the freezer and put in the oven, and we would have the Mexican dinner on TV trays. Eating out was not something that we did very often, but once in a while we would go experience real Tex-Mex food, and we would go to El Chico restaurant, and we would eat real chips and real salsa and real rice and have real real tacos, and it was it was very exciting. And every time we enjoy the imitation, the TV dinners. We were grateful because it was good. And, but we were always longing and looking for the next time that we got to enjoy the real thing. And so this morning, what we're going to look at in these verses when Paul is talking to the Colossians is reminders of things that, that are just a, a shadow or just an imitation for something that is real. And we find the reality, the satisfaction of our faith in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll begin reading together this morning. We're going to start in verse 16 and we'll read through verse 23. You'll find the words on the screen or you can follow along in your Bible. But let's read together. He says there, starting in verse 16, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one dis qualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle Do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. 
These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Lord Jesus, we are thankful that today we can gather in your word um, to study your truth. And we ask for your help because apart from it, um, we would just be spinning our wheels and wasting our time. But we thank you with the truth of your word and the power of your spirit that they work powerfully together to mold us and to transform us. So we ask, O oh God, to teach us from your word, apply it to our hearts and change us. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So the proposition I have for you this morning is the Christian life is about being in Christ and not in keeping a list of do's and don'ts. Now, some of you are probably old enough to have remembered in, in Sunday school that you would have the little checklist with your name on it by the board and you would get a star for bringing your Bible and for reading your Bible and bringing a friend and there would be a great star chart and there was this excitement about being rewarded if you were the one with the most stars you earned a certain amount of stars. Or maybe even the offering bulletin where on the offering bulletin there were those check boxes where you could check, you know, Bible read daily and all those different things. And we like lists because lists help us keep organized and lists give us an idea of whether or not we are, you know, doing what we're supposed to do. But in the Christian life, lists are only good to a purpose for a small amount of it. And really the relationship that we want to build is about being in Christ and not just keeping lists. And so the first thing I want to to discuss with you is the fact that do's and don'ts will never produce genuine faith. Do's and don'ts will never produce genuine faith. Paul warns the, the Colossian church, don't let people pass judgment on you. Because God is ultimately the only judge and your righteousness is in, in Christ. It's not in your actions. It's not in your activity. He says, don't let people disqualify you. Like a, a referee who says you're out of the game because you're victors in Christ. You're more than conquerors and your reward in Him is more than certain. And he says, don't submit to, to human regulations because you died with Christ and you're free from that old way of life. Those ties have been broken to what's inferior and ineffective and even in our lives damaging. And you've been raised up to new life. And so why in the world are you acting like you're still alive in the world? See, when we act like we're alive in the world, we we live by the system of the world. It's the ideas of the world, the philosophies of the world. And Inevitably, we take our eyes off of Jesus and we depend to rely on our own ability. And we do pretty good for a while because we're propped up by our own selfish pride and the whispers of the enemy that says, you can do it. You can do it on your own. And then before long, we fall. We fall flat on our faces because when we trust in man-made ideas and not in the truth, we're headed for failure. And so some people in this walk try to to look at a list of do's. What are the things that I can do to earn my salvation, to make God love me more or accept me or, or advance in the faith? And so they have a, a religious to-do list and they make sure that they check every box on the list to ensure that they're moving along in their faith. And there's some who have a list and it's a don't list. Things that You can't do, and if you want to be accepted by God, you'll run from those things and you won't do them. I can't do this. I can't do that. 
And there's a list in verse 21 that gives us a great example. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Great examples of these legalistic restrictions. And it leads people outside the church to look at Christians and say, well, you know, I think we probably know more about what they're against than what they're, they're for. And the point Paul is trying to drive home is that those do's and don'ts never deliver what they promise. See, when we try to substitute something in place of a personal relationship with Jesus, it always comes to an end. Because what we think offers us freedom really winds up bringing more bondage. It robs us of our intimacy with Christ. Rule following is never a good way to work in a relationship. And it leads us to be self-critical. We beat ourselves up about, oh, I didn't do this, or I didn't do that, or I can't do this, and I can't do that. And more ugly, we're critical of others. We look at them and say, oh, they shouldn't be doing that. Or can you believe what she did? Or I don't know how in the world they think they can get away with this. So we become self-critical or judgmental. And what happens is we replace the beauty and simplicity of living with grace by a burden, a weight that God never intended us to carry. And it's ineffective, it's frustrating, and it's damaging. And so do's and don'ts can't replace a relationship. You can't replace a relationship with a set of rules. You can't reduce the faith that you have down to a checklist. Now, don't get me wrong, when you go to the grocery store, a list is important. Um, when you're trying to work through a set of tasks, it's great to have a checklist. But imagine for a moment if I just decided one day in my not-too-large brain that I was going to start loving Deborah with a checklist. Yeah, and some of you had already followed that to the end. Yeah, yeah. And I would, I would come up with just a list of things that, that I would have to do every day. You know, Monday is... Is this day, and I, I would make sure that I, I check this box, check this box, check this box. Tuesday's trash day, so trash has got to go out, you know, and Friday's trash day, trash has got to go out. At the end of the week, you know, I showed up and I said, gosh, it's Friday, and look, here's my checklist. Look what I did with a big smile, expecting a big smile back. Um, well, what, what would I have? I'd have, a con- I'd have a completed checklist, a disappointed life, wife, and a discouraged spirit. Why? Because relationships aren't about checklists. Relationships are about people, interactions. It's not about checking those boxes. It's not about making sure you hit every important area and avoid those do-nots. It's so much more. It's about intimacy. It's about time. It's about communication. It's about fellowship. And people, if they're not careful, get caught up in a lot of Checklist Christianity where there's do's and don'ts and they miss out on the blessing and the joy of a relationship. And I think that's why we see a lot of people, a lot of our teenagers, when they get to the end of their graduation year and they step off into life on their own, they walk off into nothingness because they've never seen anything but, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do, this is what I can't do. And mom and dad aren't doing that. Maybe they don't match up. They say, okay, this is what the Bible says, but mom and dad don't do that. Or this list, this is impossible to keep. Nobody can do this. None of my friends do it. 
And I think sometimes because we put our good intentions in the wrong places that we set one another up for for failure. And I think what we've done in the church as a whole, not just here, but in the church all across America, is we've spent way more time talking about behavior modification and following rules than we have investing in what it means to have a deep, abiding relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the teenagers that are out there today are going to have life tougher than we are. The 20 to 30 generation, and if you want to meet them, you can just show up at Starbucks and talk to a barista for about two minutes, and you'll find out that these are the representatives of this generation. And they're far from God. They're discouraged about life. And they look at most Christians as those people that look at us and judge us. But if we begin to look at life in Christ as a relationship, we can transform that. We can transform our hearts. We can transform the message that we send. And we can transform lives. See, because do's and don'ts, they don't don't work. Paul identifies different kinds of false teachings that were creeping into the, the Colossian church. And the first one was legalism. Questions about food or drink. You can eat this, but don't eat this. And, and Jesus, when He came, said, you know, He abolished all that and all things were, were clean. And following festivals, keeping that church calendar. Festivals which, you know, happened annually. New Moon festivals which have happened monthly. And Sabbath which happened every week. Good Jewish people would keep all of those things. And boy, you know, if you missed one, then you were in trouble. But the New Testament is clear in its teaching that, that Jesus is here. He has come. And that we believers are free to do these things if they choose or if they're called to, but you're not required. Now, if you want to follow some dietary restrictions in the Old Testament, that's perfectly okay with you, with me. It's perfectly okay with God, but it's not a requirement to to walk in faith. If you want to keep the festivals and, and the Sabbath, that's fine, but it's not a requirement. We celebrate the Lord's Day now. But what was happening is these teachers were coming in and saying, oh, you know, if you want to be a real Christian, then you need to make sure you do these things. And you better stay away from that food, and you better do all of these festivals. It's so legalism, but there was also this hunger for spiritual experiences. See, we are human beings, and we're always excited by exciting things, spectacular things, incredible things. And we're always wowed by people that that display just exceeding amounts of humility. And so Paul talks about this false humility that some people were displaying, and he talks about angel worship. And false humility, you know, true humility is really a Christian virtue. It's something that, that we should aspire to, that in Christ we have the humility of Christ, but false humility, if you've ever seen it, it's ugly. It is ugly. Have you ever read or watched the movie David Copperfield? There's a great character. His name's Uriah Heep. And Uriah Heep wrings his hands like that. And you know what he says? He says, I'm ever so humble. Ever so humble. He talks about how humble he is. His mom talks about how humble he is. And he's the most conniving, snake-in-the-grass character that you've ever seen. And false humility is like that. You have these people that constantly put themselves down, talk about how humble they are. Well, here's the truth. If you're a humble person, you don't have to tell anybody. And you probably wouldn't dare tell anybody. But there are those that demean themselves to gain attention. 
And really all it is is pride working in a clever disguise. Jesus in Matthew 6.16 said this, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like those hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. That's a picture of false humility. Might get you some attention. Might make you feel super spiritual, but offers only an earthly reward, a pat on the back. And so that's one spiritual experience. The other is the the worship of angels. There was a misguided idea that you had to connect with God through this system of intermediary spirits. That for a man down here to get to God, you had to, to climb this angel ladder to worship them. And that was found through hidden knowledge. You can read more about this teaching called Gnosticism if you want to. We won't spend much time on that. And they relied heavily on visions. Problem, you know, Bible's clear. There's only one mediator between God and man, and that's the man Christ Jesus. And so there's no need to, to follow this hierarchy of angels. And none of it worked to build up the faith. It only worked to puff them up, fill them with self-confidence and earthly wisdom. And so this so-called spiritual experiences offered the hope of a greater spiritual status, but in the end left them empty, defeated. Now at the other end, there were these who were going for the high heights with the angels. There were those that would work to punish or deny their own body because they were hoping to gain some greater approval by God. You, you see this in the, in the monks um, that you read about and some of the things that they do. And this word, um, it's a big, it's, just, it's called asceticism. And it's, it's just denying or punishing your body so that you can be more spiritual. The problem is that it's self-decided and it's not God-led and it's self-serving and it's not God-glorifying. Um, one lady in her blog defined it this way, and I thought it was very well written. It's a severe, man-imposed self-discipline that serves as a self-serving, serves as self-serving check marks rather than true submission to God. Now, we have to be careful because it is true that Jesus calls His disciples to self-denial. What does He say? If any man would follow Me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow Me. Now, that involves submitting ourselves to God's will. And it involves steering clear of things that Titus, Paul writes to Titus in Titus 2, that are involved to steer clear of ungodliness and worldly passions. But self-denial is not the avoidance of all earthly pleasures. So what am I saying? It's okay to go on a vacation. A cupcake and a Coke every now and then won't keep you out of heaven. Intimacy is beautiful and good in marriage and the direction that we were given over all things is if it gives glory to god then we are to enjoy it for the glory of god and god made good all things good and when we enjoy the good things that god gives us to his glory there should be no guilt so it's okay to enjoy the pleasures of life in the boundaries of what god puts in place so here's the point of all these things External religion is never going to get anyone to God. We see that in other, other belief systems. We see it in those that, that follow Islam or Hinduism or, or some of the other 
isms, that there's nothing external that will ever get us to God. Why? Because just because we do something on the outside, it doesn't mean that it changes who we are on the inside. Think about Jesus being very critical of those religious teachers called the Pharisees. You may have remembered that he called them such edifying things as a brood of vipers. He called them whitewashed tombs full of dead man's bones. Other times he called them hypocrites. And he called them fools. Why? Because external religion can never transform the inside. You may look good on the outside like a whitewashed tomb, but on the inside you're just full of dead, rotten bones. Because faith is so much more than rules. Because Jesus came to be with us and to live inside of us. And even though do's and don'ts seem like they'll help us, they don't bring us closer to Jesus. They push us farther away. Why? Because they're based on the wrong things. Paul tells the Colossians they're man-made ideas. Phrase verse in verse 22, precepts, human precepts and teachings. Rules that are formed out of human wisdom and not by God's wisdom. They're presented as binding requirements, as have-tos, not optional, and they're not beneficial for a new creation in Christ. Because when you're made new in Christ, you're given a new motivation, you're given a new calling, you're given a new power source. So it's man-made ideas, but it's also focused on perishable things. You see, these dietary regulations were temporary and physical because food is perishable and consumable. Think about it. Once you eat something, it's gone. It's consumed. It's destroyed little by little by your digestive system. And Jesus reminds us in Mark 7 that the source of our defilement is not external, but it's internal. Because he said things from the outside, they enter the stomach, not the heart. And he says all evil things come from within and they defile a person. And so our real focus is not on what's perishable and consumable, but what's on what is spiritual and eternal, what is real. Another problem is they appear to be wise. <laughs> they look on the outside like they're going to make us holy. It sounds good. It, appear, it appears to be genuine. It appears to be a great way to express our faith. The Christian Standard Bible says they have a reputation for bringing wisdom. The New Living Translation says they seem wise because they require strong devotion. Kind of like bitter medicine. If it tastes bad, it has to work better. So do's and don'ts take so much effort. They just seem like they have to work. I've done all this work, but however, they're not of any value. Because on the surface, they seem like it's the way to go, the surefire path. And they appear to help you control your flesh and your desires, but in the end, they're just a dismal failure. They offer the hope of curbing your sinful desires, but they may actually work in the opposite way to encourage them. Some of you may have visited the flagship hotel in in Galveston. It opened in the 1960s. It's on a a thousand-foot pier that goes out into the sea. It was damaged by Hurricane Ike in 2008, and finally they demolished it in 2011, and they've replaced it now with something I think called Pleasure 
disappear, if I read what I read was correct. But when it opened in the 1960s, it placed a sign on their balconies, no fishing from balcony. What do you think happened? People fished from the balcony. And because they were well above the ocean, they used large lead weights to assure that they could get their line down to the water. Now, what happened is that most of, some of those folks weren't as skilled in their fishing skills than others, and when they would cast the line, the line would not reach the ocean, but it would swing out from the balcony and swing back into the window below, and they had several broken windows in the flagship hotel because people were fishing. Now, what was the solution? You know what they did? They took down the signs. And then, little by little, people stopped fishing from the balcony. And like a no fishing from the balcony sign, or the challenge to not think about something, like don't think about a blue car, often when we focus on the negative, it leads to do the very thing that we're trying to avoid and not focusing on what really matters. See, do's and don'ts don't work because they ignore what is most important. All of these Jewish laws and festivals inevitably pointed toward one who is greater. They were a shadow of the substance that was Christ. The reality of all these were found in Christ. And trying to follow those things, to live after those things, was just preposterous because it was just a shadow. It wasn't real. They detracted from Christ and didn't grow faith. So what is the key? It's applying the victory of Jesus to our daily lives. Paul is tying in what he talked about previously about being dead and raised with Christ and he tells us that it's the reality of what Christ has done for us and who he is that transforms us. And when we try to follow substitutes, it's not going to work. Being more religious, adding more rules or denying yourself some of God's good gifts, they're not going to work. Oh, they may make you feel more holy on the outside and you may sense for a little bit that you're closer to God. And people around you may think, oh man, he is a super Christian or that he is so or she is so spiritual. But what you are really is not spiritual at all. You're, you're man-made and you're worthless in your your faith because nothing in this life can substitute for saying yes to Jesus. When we say yes to Jesus, His love is what draws us into obedience. His fullness is what fills our emptiness and we enjoy all the goodness of all that God says is good. And so the last point in your outline there, genuine faith is only experienced in Christ. See, real, authentic, and genuine, those are important words in our society. Those are important adjectives. You don't believe me? Try real, try, try imitation cheese instead of real cheese. And let's have a conversation. It won't melt. It's freaky. Um, try authentic Tex-Mex and then go to Taco Bell. Or experience a fake smile and a genuine smile. You know, it import, it's important. 
And so Jesus is the only way that we can experience real, authentic, genuine faith. And Paul challenges the Colossians, if you want to live genuinely in your faith, remember that you are alive with Christ. And why in the world are you living like you're still in the world? It's the same thing Paul would say to us today. If you're alive in Christ, why are you still living like you're in the world? He says it to me all the time. He says it to you on a continual basis. Cross timber, why are we still living like we're in the world when we're alive in Christ? He reminds them and he reminds us today, you died with Christ and you were raised with Christ and you are complete in Him. He is the head, you are the body. Verse 20, he says, if, you, if, Christ, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world. Now that's not a, a proposition it's a reminder. If with Christ you died, if you died with Christ and you did indeed die with Christ, why in the world are you living like you're living? Remember, you died with Christ. It's His death. It's His resurrection that leads to our victory. And His victory is ours. We share in it. We have victory over sin. We have victory over self. We have victory over the world and the devil. So why in the world would we want to go back and try to live according to those old systems? Don't live in defeat today, Christian, because you have victory in Jesus. Let me say that again. Don't live in defeat today because you have victory in Jesus. You can't do it by yourself. You won't. It won't work. You can't grow in your faith by yourself. Only Jesus in us can grow us in our faith. He's the vine. We're the branches. And when we're connected to him, we grow with a growth that comes from God. And anything else is false. And it won't last. It's Jesus inside of us that affects what goes on on the outside of us. It's His presence by the Spirit that transforms us and brings us victory and brings us freedom. And Paul warns the Colossians and he warns us today, don't be captured and bound up by things that promise freedom and bring bondage. Live in freedom in Christ. Christ has set you free. You are free indeed. Not free to do whatever we want, but free to do what we ought. To walk in fellowship with God and live a life that's pleasing to Him. Free to be what He created each one of us to be. And in this passage, we can find two things that can help us move out of those shadows and move into the reality of life in Christ. And the first thing is, and you see it in your outline, is find your completeness in Christ. You will find yourself whole in nothing else but Christ. Because He is the substance of faith. In Him we find what is real. We realize that He is Christ in us, the hope of glory. He is the one who made us alive. He is the one that filled us. He is the one who gives us life. We are rooted, built up, and established in Him. And anything else we try is going to leave us feeling incomplete, unsatisfied. In Jesus, you have everything you need. Remember, believer, you share in His fullness. In Him, every spiritual need is met. There's no need for us to turn to anything else. Jesus and Jesus alone will satisfy. And we have an invitation to enter into that fullness by faith. 
and to continue to be filled up by Him and for Him this day and tomorrow and the next day. So remember, you're complete only in Christ. And the second thing is keep your connection to Christ. In verse 19, Paul points out that the error of the false teachers was mainly that they had lost connection to the head. They weren't holding fast to the head. Now, where there's not a connection to a head, first of all, there's no guidance. And shortly after, there's no life. Because if there's no head, there's no life, and there's no leading. It's a warning to us. It's a warning to them that when you get out of touch with with Jesus, you're in a place of great danger. Because our walk with Jesus requires a moment-by-moment dependence on Him. And when we lose our connection, failure is certain. We lose the ability to grow. We lose our daily nourishment. We lose or we withdraw from connection with other believers. When we lose our connection, the failure is certain. So how can we reconnect with Jesus? Let me give you three things and then we're we're done. Unplug, reboot, and plug in. First thing is unplug from things that drain you. I can't tell you what you're plugged into that you shouldn't be, but you know in your heart of hearts what you're plugged into that you shouldn't be plugged into. What are you connected to that you have no business being connected to? And Jesus is saying, pull the plug on it today. And for some of you, pulling the plug may not be drastic enough. Pulling the, tr- pulling the plug and and taking it to the dumpster may be what you, you need to do. Smashing it to pieces and getting rid of it. But unplug from things that, that drain you spiritually. Could be your work life. Could be extra activities. It could be you know, hobbies that are in the, among themselves not you know, necessarily hurtful or damaging. Could be unhealthy addictions to, to alcohol, the substances to, to pornography. Unplug from things that drain you. It could just be getting off of the treadmill of, of faith, thinking I've got to do all these things to please God when God just says, I want you to spend time with me, to slow down, to get quiet. So unplug, but then reboot. It's the greatest IT information I ever. Got. Well, actually, I think it was the only IT information I ever got when I called their IT department. Why don't you just go ahead and reboot and let's see what happens? Because I'm going to keep eating my snack and drinking my coffee and then I'll get 10 more minutes and you can call me back and we'll find out what happens. I think that's the IT person's, you know, goal. But reboot. That's what we do when our computer doesn't work. We reboot, right? Well, God has built into our walk with Him a reboot. It's called repentance. Where we walk away from what we've unplugged from and we walk toward the Savior. Now, in between those things, there is a heartfelt apology. There is a confession. You unplug and you say, Lord, I'm sorry that I did that. Will you forgive me? And now I I lay it down. I repent and I return to, to you. That's our reboot. 
And it's not just a one-time thing. It's a continual process. We would look like, um, in the process of repenting, you would look like one of those little wind-up robots that when they bump into something, they turn and go the other direction, they turn and go the other direction. Some of our days are like that. It's a constant repent and return back to Jesus to reboot. So we unplug, we reboot, and lastly, we plug in. So we unplug from unhealthy things, but we plug into what is healthy. We can plug into prayer. We can plug into reading God's Word. We can plug into enjoying all of the good things of life that God tells us to enjoy within the boundaries that He has placed. That's not on the list there, but you can do that. If you're you're plugged into healthy things that are growing your relationship with the Lord Jesus, that that are building you up spiritually, that are growing you in your relationship with your family and other people, keep doing those things to the glory of God. And maybe if you're lacking in those things, maybe there's some things that you need to find that you can plug into. You know, plug into a Bible study with, a, with another brother or sister. Plug into the monthly Ladies Connect. Plug into the Monday morning men's prayer if you have opportunity. Plug into the Wednesday Bible study during the noon hour if you have opportunity. Plug into a Bible study class. We have about 80 to 85 people on a given Sunday here, and we have about 60 people in Sunday school. So that tells me there's 25 people that have opportunity to be a part of a Sunday school class. If you never have, I encourage you to give that an opportunity. It's a great place to plug in, to study God's Word together, to be in fellowship with other Bible-believing folks. But let me just close with this. Christian life is not about a list of do's and don'ts. It's about being in Christ. Because if God wanted us to live by do's and don'ts, you know what would have happened? He would not have sent Jesus. He wouldn't have sent a Savior. But Jesus did come and He came to set us free so that we could live in a relationship with Him. And in that relationship, we learned to lovingly follow His ways. He calls us to do things and out of of love, we submit and we say yes. He calls us to not do some things. Out of love, we submit. Because religious activity and spirituality aren't going to be the answer. But when we make Jesus our greatest desire, all our other desires will be subject to Him and will please Him. Because it's all about Jesus. Charles Spurgeon said this, Christ is the real one thing needful. Mind that you have the substance, for then you can let all of the shadows go. Brothers, sisters, May we find our completeness in Christ and may we connect to Him and Him alone because He is our head. In Him, the whole body, nourished, knit together, through which joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for the truth of Your Word. We're grateful for the fact that it stands the test of time. So we trust the words that You inspired Paul to write are just as powerful and effective today as they were when You wrote them to the Colossians. And the spiritual environment is very much the same as it was in that day. That left to ourselves will always run toward things that we shouldn't. We'll always try to follow You in a way that is not in line with Your Word. 
And so, God, we ask You would help us to be delivered from, from the do's and don'ts of life, the legalism. You would deliver us from seeking You in, in religious experiences through, through built-up emotionalism and excitement. Lord, You would help us to see that it's through Jesus and Jesus alone that we are complete and that we are connected to Him. And God, You would free us from trying to live for You so that You could live through us. We thank You that we, for today, if we're called by the name of Jesus, that we have died with You and we have risen to new life. And we ask for Your help to walk in that new life. Pray for the person or for the persons that that are here this morning that maybe have never understood or even thought about what it means to have new life in Christ. And I thank You that You are the God that is able to save and to bring life. Pray for the, the man and the, or the woman and for, for those of us that if we're not careful, we get caught up in just following rules and thinking we're, we're living the life that we need to live. I pray for those that think they can just do whatever they, they want because God just loves them and His grace is sufficient. God, connect us to You. Help us to unplug from the unhealthy. Help us to reboot, to repent and to reconnect with You and to plug into the good things that You've given us that are for our good and for our growth. Thank You, Lord Jesus, for what You will do and what You are doing. You are a great and a wonderful Savior. We pray in Your name. Amen.